Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Season 2, Episode 7, Don't Settle for Less. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We are listening in together from everywhere. We are all so connected. We're in the dog days of summer, as they say, and I hope you are finding some relaxation on a needed vacation or other ways to nourish your soul. It's a most exciting week for us at Blink of an Eye as we celebrate one year of this podcast on August the 5th and over 20,000 listens. That's a lot of us across the United States and the world creating an energy field of healing. And thank you for being part of the Blink of an Eye family this past year. Your loyalty, your love, and for sharing and telling others. Together, we can contribute to a more compassionate planet. I love how you're also writing me at louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com and sharing your stories. I also wanted to express my condolences on the losses some of you have told me about. Please know that this Blink of an Eye community is holding you in the light, in prayer of many backgrounds and faiths, all in union with one divine source. And I hope you feel that and our compassion. You know, you never know what another listener is carrying with them as we listen in together. Let's just pause for a moment to send love and compassion to anyone who is suffering loss whatever it is that we're carrying, whoever it is who we are, we come to this podcast to be nourished. We're going to hear today about a lot of medical care logistics and concerns about Archer and our family situation and our marital relationship and our worries and our youngest son. So many decisions and how easy it is to get swept up and away in these worries and concerns, but how we can't bag out. We have to do our part. And yet, there is a greater source always present to guide us. You'll hear about that source that I felt called upon me to go deeper and not settle for less. Listen for the whisper of the divine source and how you don't have to settle for less either. Maybe you can become an advocate too, for yourself, for a loved one, 
for someone else who cannot advocate for themselves. Maybe advocacy is part of your trauma healing path. It was certainly part of mine. Please also join me later this week in the Trauma Healing Learnings, Episode 7, Don't Settle for Less, as we dive a little deeper into this understanding about advocacy that showed up for me on this day of the story. There is a divine source that gives us all we need. May that spirit be with you as you listen today. And as you listen, listen to your own heart. Is there something in your life, a relationship, an interaction, a wound that needs attention, where you no longer settle for less, where you advocate for something more, something that takes you deeper in your relationship with yourself? Settle in. Settle your spirit, anticipate something that inspires you to further your own healing and journey to wholeness in life. Here we go. Back to August 2015 in Atlantic City. August 18th, day 14, Tuesday. Life can change in the blink of an eye. The hospital was only allowing one person in the room at a time with Archer, including family. It really was touch and go. Last night, Billy called me and urged me to come home to the Cape May vacation house. I said I honestly didn't want to leave the hospital. And I added, I'm okay, Billy. Really, I really am. But he said flatly, please come home, Louise. And he added, the house needs you. It was the way he said it. I knew Billy well. He meant he needed me to come home. He has often asked me over the years to come home, to come home to dinner, to come home from travel, to come home, even when I was always on my way. I always thought it was sweet when I thought he meant it's okay to stop working because I did work too long and too much. But I knew over the years that was just left over from when his own dad was never home because of work. And I think it always haunted Billy that I would not be home either. Family and generational trauma, it's a tricky thing and very real because partners, probably unconsciously, choose each other energetically to fulfill what they long to have in childhood. And that goes both ways for both partners. But the way Billy said it this time sounded different. So I asked, you need me to come home, Billy? And he said, yes. But I realized he meant something else. 
I had misread the old code. What I realized he meant was, I need to be alone. That he wanted me to come home so he could be alone with Archer. And I said, okay, are you all right, Billy? And he blurted out, I need to be with Archer too. I was taken aback. But even though he sounded angry, it struck me as tender and authentic. Billy rarely verbalized a preference. He's stubborn as all get out at times, but he's usually a go along to get along kind of easygoing guy. This was really new. And I was really moved by his authenticity. I said, okay, yeah, I get that, honey. Okay. They were only allowing one person to be with Archer now. I got it. I'll leave as soon as you get here, I said. And he sighed. Thanks. Sure. And then he added, It gives me comfort to be near Archer at night, too. Being at the house by myself is really hard. Oh, okay. Okay. I know. Just come. Just come, sweetheart. Oh, how I so wanted to be with Billy then and wrap my arms around him. We both desperately wanted connection with Archer. It's a funny thing, you know, when both parents really want to be with their child and only one can be or gets to be. That's how it was for us. Maybe you know the feeling. It could rip you apart again. And I think it often does. It also could draw you closer when the needs are stated so purely. It could go either way. I thought when Billy got there that maybe we could stay together, even in the hallway outside Archer's room for a short while. It would be nice to be together for a moment. We never were. Well, we just spent an entire afternoon together yesterday in our second mediation session. But that is not what I meant. It was so intense and it was all business. We had to think hard and smart and logical. It was crazy amidst our emotional breakdowns. Well, really, my emotional breakdowns. Although not as many as a week ago. Billy was pretty rigid, though, and we had a lot of negotiation to do with each other to make a plan. It was exhausting, but productive. But I still longed to have some moments, just some private moments with Billy. There was nothing private anymore.
and nowhere private. While the nurses came in, and I noticed they were impacted by our healing sanctuaries, they actually lingered and stayed a little while, and even had some light chit-chat with me, ever so briefly, as Archer was so fragile. My attempts to have Billy join me failed. He told me and texted me he was not going to be in the same room with me. I did not like hearing that, I admit. And you might have been deeply wounded if your spouse told you this. And I was disappointed. But I also knew Billy. I knew him really well. He was sending me smoke signals, whether he was aware of the message or not. As I waited for him to drive up the Garden State Parkway, I thought about his wanting to be there too with Archer and his wanting to be alone. The deeper truth is that I knew he thought he was better by himself when he felt anxious about one of our kids. I knew this about him from many years of marriage. But it was quite new for me what he said about it being hard to be by himself. It really was new to me. 31 years of marriage at that time. And that revelation was really new. What I did know is that Billy has always needed a lot of separate space around him when he feels very overwhelmed or when he needs to concentrate on something that is stressful to him. I relate to that too, to some degree. But for Billy, he often needs to move around. It would come out especially when one of our children had to perform in sports. I swear there must have been some very old pressure on him as a kid. Or maybe that's the only time his dad came to see him was when he was playing sports. I don't know. Because whenever one of our kids was on the playing field or the court, and we spent years of time with five athletic kids on the playing fields and courts, Billy's preference was to not sit with any fans or any other parents in the stands of sports games. He never articulated that. He just planted himself elsewhere. Or if he had to be with us, there would be a lot of space between Billy and the next person. It's just the way it was. By and large, for the many soccer and lacrosse tournaments over the years, he was always far off to the side, watching intently, moving back and forth along the fence, like his nervous system could not handle any more pressure. And when he was coaching, he was often yelling out loudly the moves, the plays for the players, where to be, where to move. He wanted them to do well. He actually didn't care so much about winning as about the individual performance of each kid. He was a good coach for grade school and middle school players, and he coached many seasons, but he was always coaching away from the bench or the sidelines. If anyone so much as touched him, 
he'd flinch. He was intense. Just how it was. As I share this now, I do think there might be a connection to past loss or what he didn't get. There is for all of us, really. It's impossible for our parents to meet all of our needs or for our hereditary past to have been without great pain. Well, anyway, I felt that same separate and intense energy over the phone with him earlier. And when he said that he felt alone at home now, made my heart ache as I waited for him to arrive. I felt like maybe he had unpeeled a new layer of his life and just shared it with me. While I don't think he felt particularly connected to me at that moment, I felt very connected to him. I wondered what new unpeeled layers of my life were underway and which I might also be willing to reveal. And honestly, as I learn more about trauma and the long-term impact of past adverse childhood experiences, abandonment and loss, While the trauma experience causes an emotional overload and a corresponding physical reactivity for all human beings, the emotional reactivity and the corresponding physical reactivity vary so widely. I was flooded with appreciation for Billy's vulnerability and telling me that he needed both closeness and space. It was a new self-advocacy, really, a new response, or so it seemed, at least to me. I wondered what my new responses were, too, and if I was even aware of them. It had been such an intense two weeks. I thought about how much I control things, I guess, so I can feel the control I didn't have when I was a little girl, the control I longed for to bring my dad back, and how even my working and all my performances related to just old pain. Look at me, Daddy, from heaven. Billy and I both shared abandonment or lost backgrounds of our fathers through no fault of our parents, just the way it was. Maybe you and your spouse share some of the same childhood wounds too. All this was flashing through my mind as I waited for Billy. You know, I think what was happening in between the lines of surviving in the ICU with the child in a very unstable situation, were these profound moments of revelation in my mind and in my thinking 
and perhaps in Billy's too. I didn't want to settle for less. Maybe it was these moments of insight into the past that would allow us both to find our most authentic voices of compassion for each other, of what was possible, and what we could really work towards. No, I wasn't going to settle for any less. But everything was so unknown and seemed to be dangling on hold. I then thought about the many kindnesses Billy has shown me over the years, truly loving me for who I am and not what I do. And I thought about our past, the loss of my dad's sudden death in the airplane crash, my mom's bad second marriage, marrying an alcoholic, a con man. And I thought about the domestic violence, the near bankruptcy, the divorce, the painful annulment. I thought about Billy being raised like a cat in the cradle, he always said, with a dad too busy to pay attention to him or too rigid to say, I love you, probably because of his own pain of losing his beloved brother in the war. And Billy's mom just doing the best she could after the unacknowledged cord birth injury of his brother Dano, closest in age to him, depriving him of oxygen as a baby, rendering him mentally and physically handicapped. We both carried a lot. I always thought Billy's brother Dano made Billy soft and kind and very attentive to others. And I loved that about Billy. But what I loved most was that he was a kind and gentle man. Yeah, knowing both our paths has always helped me over the years. Have more compassion for myself and for Billy. And it's allowed us to really go deep our marriage, not settling for things complacent and easy. It led me, too, to be more interested in how our past have shaped us. It's a funny thing in mediation that the more transactionally focused mediators say, never focus on the past, only on the future. But I think they have that wrong. We need to make peace with our past in order to have an authentic future. I think a lot of people do settle for less. As I sat there, I wondered what the future would hold for us. Honestly, if Billy and I would even recognize each other after a while. This time it just all seemed very, very huge. And maybe too huge for each of us. I realized we both had a lot of work to do to reconcile our past. At least I know I did. 
Oh, I don't know. As I sat there, I felt the changes between us. I wasn't sure what they were, but we were both changing. Would we be better? Was there more to come? Could we handle it? Would we handle it together? Could we change and still be the same? Maybe you have been in such a situation that is so overwhelming and you just wonder and you don't know. That's just it. You don't know. It's kind of scary. Or maybe you have greater compassion for yourself or your partner or spouse too from the past. Do you? I do think that is possible, especially if we can stay in a judgment-free zone and not settle for less. But maybe you are not even able or curious enough to explore it, or maybe fearful that if you do, it will get worse and you won't be able to live through the pain. But I knew I had to advocate for Archer and for us. I think it was this night that I told myself my own positive frame. That's what I would call it, a positive frame. We would handle whatever came and whatever fallout, whatever happened, we would learn. And I would have to be open to whatever came, to whatever came. That would be the most challenging. But I firmly believed God never gives you what you can't handle with Him. And if Billy and I changed, I prayed it would be towards each other with interpersonal growth. And I prayed we could do that together. But I had little flickers that it was going to be hard. Please, Lord, give us the strength to allow ourselves to fall down and to rely on you. Billy texted me he had arrived and told me to meet him downstairs as we were trading places two floors below Archer's hospital room. As we tried to be quick, and he told me where the car was. He also said, I'll take Dutch back to Baltimore for school and soccer. You stay with Archer after that. I'll be back Labor Day weekend with Dutch, and we'll bring Archer home. I was taken aback, as those were some of the many decisions we were discussing yesterday in the mediation, which were not fully decided. We had agreed we'd wait and see how things went with Dutch to know if I should line up some friends to help us sit bedside when Archer got stronger. But Billy did not like that idea. I'm telling you, Billy does a lot of thinking when he's by himself. And I guess he had gone ahead and decided for us. I was actually okay with it. Okay, I said. It made sense, even though it felt a little premature. 
but I was relieved we had agreed on a plan. He then said, Wheezy, you need to go home, honey. I know, that's where I'm going, Billy. It's after midnight. He said, when you get there, you've got to go to bed. You've got to rest, because I don't know what help you're going to have. I cannot be in two places at the same time, and you can't either. I did rest, and I drove back early to meet the doctors for early morning rounds in the trade places with Billy. Paula drove back to Cape May from Baltimore and came straight to the hospital, too. She was taking some of the last of her vacation days. She and I camped out in the family waiting room, alternating shifts while we made those phone calls. Lots of phone calls. Billy and I had made many decisions on our mediation session, and I had a to-do list a mile long. A big mixture of calls related to the feeling we were about to be crushed with medical expenses. No income and calls about our next steps with Archer. And calls about the other members of our family, too, who had lives that needed to be attended to as well. It was all I could do to beg Billy, though, to not sell my building and our house. There were just a lot of logistics. I made calls while Paula covered two hours at a time. One of the big topics for Billy and me was our youngest son, Dutch, who was still at summer camp in Maine. Dutch was coming home that week. I had called his camp director that morning to get a pulse on how Dutch was doing. Billy and I were both concerned with how to tell Dutch the details we now knew about Archer. When we last talked with Dutch over a week ago, we had told him over the phone with the director present what had happened. But that was so early. It seemed so long ago. We told him what we knew then, that Archer had been in a diving accident in Cape May and had broken his neck and was in the hospital. But now, 11 days later, we needed to plan for when to pick Dutch up and how to pick Dutch up way up in Maine. He was the only kid from Maryland at this rather local camp. Billy had stumbled upon this camp while searching online for summer camps a couple years ago when Dutch asked if he could go to camp. It was in Maine where Billy had lots of good childhood memories. It was a totally sports-oriented camp, and it was affordable relative to other summer camps. It was perfect. But now, I didn't want to leave Archer's side, and Billy didn't want to either. But we didn't want Dutch traveling back on a bus alone either, or being without one of us when he didn't have the distraction of camp, but he had the heaviness of the reality of Archer on his mind. Billy and I were on the phone all morning back and forth about what to say, if to tell him, what to tell him, how not to feed into the worst-case thinking when he has little information. While we had so many logistics to figure out, the real issue 
top of mind for both of us was Dutch's mental health. I wanted to give Dutch information. Billy wanted to wait until he was with us in the hospital. I don't know why, but I just thought that would be cruel to wait. I thought at least small bits at a time might be the best approach and answering his questions as they came up, but being very direct. To tell him the truth directly so that he didn't get more anxious than normal about it, I thought would be important. I was honestly following some of my own best family mediation practices I've helped divorcing parents with over the years for telling their kids bad and sad news. It is best to be direct and loving and stated in a way that focuses on the child's needs. Bad and sad news is bad and sad news no matter what the subject. But who would have ever imagined I would be following these practices? for my own young son. Billy consented to my calling Dutch, and he told me to script out what I'd say. He then announced he would drive to Maine with our son Dewey to get Dutch, and the three of them would drive back to Cape May before heading back to Baltimore for the start of school, college, and soccer practice. That's over 22 hours of driving, even without summer traffic. It was a lot. I knew it because I was the one who usually picked Dutch up, and we made a four-day trip of it. There was no time for any of that now. I was relieved, actually, and said I thought it was a good idea. I was looking forward to seeing our Dutchie again. While he'd lobbied us hard to stay at camp for another three weeks, I mean, he so loved it up in Maine, this sports camp in the woods with a bunch of scrappy kids from the west end of Boston. I was still worried about how he would absorb all of this. While Dutch is already tall for his age and strong and athletic, he is also sensitive and he adores Archer. He looks up a lot to all of his brothers and to Paula too. But since he and Archer are closest in age, they've always had a close bond. Something niggled at me that we had to be careful this did not throw Dutch off too much. He had just turned 13. And like I said, he really loved Archer a lot. I wonder what you would have done if you would have prepared him more if you think we were too concerned. Maybe you have boys too. I'm not saying all boys are alike, as we know people are individual and special and unique. But as a subset of the human species, boys sure are different than girls with the way they process their emotions. I arranged for a call with Dutch again at camp just to hear his voice and for him to hear mine as we together planned his coming home. It was a delicate conversation, one of the most delicate I've ever had in my life. 
As I scripted out what to say, I tried to put in practice what I had been teaching and coaching others in difficult situations to do. At least I remembered that, which is a small miracle unto itself. And I had learned at a couple conferences on neuroscience about how we can prime the brain for positive outcomes by stimulating the senses with smell and sound and images and words that are positive. That's right. We can prime the brain for higher ordered problem solving just as much as we can scramble the brain. I wrote across the top of a piece of paper. I can't wait to see you. Dad will be there with Dewey to pick you up and bring you back to the hospital where we will all be together for the weekend. I want to give you a big hug. It might be hard when you see Archer because he is very injured, but he is going to be all right. Time will tell how he does, but no matter what, we will all be okay, even if it is rough for a while. And it will probably be for a while because Archer's body needs a long time to heal. Archer is fighting hard, so pray for his strength, Dutch. It will be good to have you here with us. We've missed you and can't wait to hear all about camp. No matter what happens, we will be okay and you will be okay, and our family will be okay. If it's hard, we'll go through hard together, and we'll get help where we need it. You'll start school soon. I've called your coach. Archer is getting good care. People are very kind. I can't wait to give you that hug, and Dad, and Paula, and Pete, and Dewey too. I remember it vividly because Dutch latched on to the no matter what happens part. It was truthful and I had to be honest. And Dutch asked me, will Archer be okay? And I responded, I hope so and pray so. We're grateful he's alive. And if we can just get him up and out of this hospital, all will be okay. Ask God to guide the doctors to make good decisions, Dutch. Prayer is very powerful. There was silence. I waited. There was more silence. To lighten things up a bit, I told Dutch about our healing sanctuary, using essential oils and peppermint and the generous gifts people had sent to the hospital. I was keen on holding it together for him, even if I felt like shattering. The positive frame helped me too. No matter what, we are going to be okay. 
It doesn't guarantee the outcome you want. But it does prime a situation to anticipate that there will be something good. And there always is. Even when we can't see it at the time. I wanted Dutch to know that. It's funny how much had changed in a week or so. When we had first called, my goal was to do our best to navigate not having a painful family tragedy, taint, and ruin, which Dutch loves so much. Sports and camp. But this time, I wanted Dutch to hear me strong and know that he was coming home where it was secure and safe, especially if he did fall apart. You know how it is for many kids when they go off to camp or college or retreat or anything that's all-encompassing for any length of time away from their family. They grow up. And it's good. They individuate and begin to separate a little too. And it's all part of healthy family systems, even if it is hard on mom or dad. I had no idea how much Dutch would have grown up this summer, but I knew he had. I just wanted him to know where home base was, that there was still a home base. And we, as a family, were it. And we were holding it together. And we would literally hold each other together. Remember Steve Lepler? the director of West End House Camp, whom I introduced you to in season one? Well, here's an excerpt from our interview as we looked back together on how camp went for Dutch that summer with the news about his brother, Archer. All I know is that we, you know, at West End House Camp, we feel really close to all the campers and it's we get to know them and we want to support them. We want to um, help build their character, help them become resilient and social and leaders. And I think that that's what we do in general um, and have people be independent and strong. And everybody gets tested and this was a test for everybody. But I think that he, he got through it and he sort of like made the best of the rest of the season. And, you know, even, even though the, um, this was in the back of his mind, he sort of carried on and was social with his friends and, and did, the, did the color war activities and you guys broke it to him the way with, based on the reality of that time and he was able to see it and sort of experience it and didn't miss anything, still had plenty of time to be helpful and be part of the family and go through the process with the family. So I, I think it, you know, it, it, it was, the, we, we handled it the right way even though it was difficult. And um, so in retrospect, as we all think about it five years later, um, I think we handled it correctly. I feel the same way. And, and for me, and what you just said about there really wasn't anything he could have done and then he would have missed exactly what he went for. And then he'd have a brother who's a you know, quadriplegic and he missed the color war. People yeah. who have those memories on really important events are really tainted in a, in a kind of a sour, painful way. And I didn't want that for guys. I think a lot of moms get strong on the outside for their children. 
even though that's not what it's like on the inside. At least that's what it was like for me. And I knew it. I didn't believe in my heart and in my body that it was Archer's time. And Archer, well, he wanted to live. Archer has a strong will himself. He just needed a chance. I felt like we had to fight this for him until he was strong enough to advocate for himself. I had to be his voice until he had his own. Oh, God, please guide me for what to do. The mission was to do all we can to protect Archer and give his body a chance to get strong. I heard it again. Don't settle for less. I don't know why. It's just a phrase I've been thinking about throughout the day. I asked for a meeting with the trauma doctor and the pulmonologist to discuss options for Archer. The head doc said he would consult with the other doctor. And I said, no, consult with me. He did not know what I was asking for. I said, I'm asking for a collaborative meeting with all of us to discuss Archer's care. Because you have wisdom and I have wisdom. And together we can figure something out that's good for Archer. Right now, it seems we're stuck. And Archer's body can't afford for us to be stuck. Dr. Tolucci looked at me and said he would talk with the pulmonologist. I could tell my meeting idea might not happen, but I could also tell I had his attention. I called the hospital administrator, the same one who pussyfooted on the topic of the drip bag, and I asked her if she could help coordinate a meeting. I used the same positive frame, that three heads are better and more efficient, and we didn't have time to be stuck, and I believed the best risk management approach was to try to figure it out together. I thought I'd get her attention now if I referred to risk management. She said it was an unusual request, but I could tell she was considering what to do. She said she would, but it would take some time to coordinate. Well, that green light of sorts was a pass-go roll for me. Thanks to Paula's presence in Archer's room, I literally went out and roamed the trauma unit at the time the doctors were often doing rounds after surgery and found the three doctors I needed in the hall and cajoled them to come to Archer's room for a brief meeting bedside. When they did arrive, it really wasn't hard. I just started the conversation again with the good old positive frame. And I said earnestly, thank you each for caring for our son. As I looked them each in the eye. I know it's unusual to meet like this all together and with me. But it appears we are at a standstill with what to do with Archer's treatment. And I believe there are options. We just need 
to discuss the situation together. I think if we all talked and listened to each other and you shared your wisdom for how you view Archer's situation, we might be more discerning and efficient and make a more informed next step choice for Archer's care. I don't think we're out of options to help Archer. We just need to discover them. They are here. I know they are. You have the answers. I remember that so clearly because I wrote that out too. I wanted them to believe in themselves and I wanted them to believe in possibilities that they may not have considered. I didn't want them to give up on Archer. It was a productive meeting because we brainstormed and discussed what wasn't working and why. I learned a lot. We came up with a plan to try what might work. Archer, upright. While he was not tolerating being shifted side to side, the thought was he might do better if he were straight up. He hadn't set up, though, in two solid weeks. Nor could he, on his own anyway. He would need a machine or something to support him. But it was doable. Just the thought of a new possibility was uplifting to me. And I think it was to Archer, too. And honestly, I think it was for the doctors and medical staff as well. Collaboration always takes more effort. And it's often uncomfortable. And you do have to push so that you don't settle for less. But it almost always yields positive outcomes of one variety or another. And I felt resonating deep in my solar plexus. Never underestimate what can happen when you reach out and ask for help and talk. I myself was good with helping others do that. But I wasn't so good at reaching out for myself. This day had real lasting impact in a number of ways. And of course, we were in the room that was now converted to a healing sanctuary. I'm sure that contributed as well but I don't even know if Archer was taking in any of this as he was very in and out all day. At the end of our meeting, I'll never forget how Dr. Tolucci commented in his big voice that they were willing to try anything. He turned to me and said, the nurses say you pray a lot, which startled me actually. He didn't seem to have that much interaction with the nurses. But I said, I try. And you know what he told me? Keep praying. He could have blown me away with a feather. Keep praying. I felt a kinship with Dr. Tolucci in that moment. I did. Like we were in this together. He at least understood what was important. 
Maybe he was a believer too. I remember the smile I gave him. It was like the whole room was shifting for me. Before he left, though, he told me that they were all doing the best they could and could not perform magic. I told him I knew that. I could tell our connection, though, was almost too vulnerable. And I could tell he was just trying to temper my expectations. But I wanted more than magic. I believed in more than magic. And I told him so. I should tell you, too, that it was on this day that I asked Dr. Tolucci if he would be open to discussing Archer's situation with other doctors at other hospitals out of state, since two heads are always better than one. While I was obviously neither a medical person or someone familiar with hospitals, I did know a lot of doctors at Johns Hopkins and the University of Maryland and Greater Baltimore Medical Center because I had been their divorce mediator, or many of them, over the years. I knew I had some of their phone numbers, their cell phone numbers, in my iPhone. It had occurred to me to call them when I was driving down the Garden State last night. It would be a bold move for a mediator to call a past client, and I wasn't even sure whom I would call. But it was my son now. Dr. Tolucci said they had many specialists in the Atlantic Care Hospital system and could call upon others in Philadelphia. I said, I'm sure you do. But if the expertise is not here in this hospital system, maybe we could import it. The thought was beginning to take some shape in my thinking. I thought of the last set of x-rays. Yes, the radiology techs were still taking x-rays a couple times every day as they wheeled in the large boxy machine and took the x-ray films bedside. Since the hospital would not release Archer's records to me, I'd begun to take pictures with my phone of some of the x-rays. I also began to ask a lot more questions to educate myself before the techs left. And you know what? They weren't so fast to leave now because of the healing sanctuary. They commented on it. I learned all the gray and stringy white lines on Archer's x-rays of his lungs were the bacterial debris buildup in his lungs and that what we wanted to see were films that were black, which indicated air and space. I closed my eyes and imagined Archer's lungs spacious as I asked Mother Mary to wrap her arms around both of us and to help Archer breathe. I took in another deep breath myself of the fresh and lightly fragranced air in the room and focused my attention on the sounds of trickling waterfalls that were also playing for Archer on the CD player Paula had brought from Baltimore that day, with some of Billy's and my old CDs we had from our law school bar exam studying days many years ago. And I gazed 
at the Eucharist. It was already midnight again. I sent out this message. 8-18-15, day 14, Tuesday. Family and friends update. Alleluia. Alleluia. Your prayers are being heard and high nature vibration in the room is working. Today is a significantly different day for Archer. As they slid him into a chair, so he was strapped in upright and his heart loved it. Yes, he went from the 40s beats per minute to 58 beats per minute most of the time in the chair. And his eyes were bright and we spent the better part of the day with the usual plus a visit and the ice cold lollipop sponges pressed into the cheeks of his mouth and head massages and scratching. There was still sand from the beach in Archer's thick, beautiful mane. The nurses love to wash it now that his neck surgery incision is healed. And the nurse we now have and have had consistently for two days told me she had to fight to get to care for Archer because he's Archer and they marvel at his sanctuary, which is truly a different world from the one outside the closed glass doors and drawn curtain in the unit. But best of all, she's not only very competent, but she's a believer. We want to surround Archer with believers of what is possible. And, drum roll, they have scheduled Archer for tracheotomy surgery in the OR Thursday at 9 a.m. So, prayer warriors, we know what we need to be doing at 9 a.m. Thursday. Sending lots of love. Thank you, God, for strengthening Archer and this significant turn that happened. After the McDonough assembly and all of you and Archer's army praying together and holding him and we hope each other in good intentions. His army will be one of a different nature, disciplined by love, kindness, and forgiveness. Amen. Billy also posted on his own this same day on his Facebook page, Tuesday, August 18th. In response to many requests, we added a donate button to the top of this page. We are facing extraordinary costs for Archer's care and rehabilitation not covered by insurance, and we would be very grateful for any help you could offer. Any donation will not be tax deductible, and the entire amount will go to the Archer Semt Special Needs Trust. Donations will be processed through PayPal and set up for the Archer Semt Special Needs Trust using the email archersemptrust at joinorans.org. Thank you and for your love, support, and prayers. I closed my eyes in gratitude and made a mental note to bring more flowers from my garden back to the hospital.
as we close, consider advocating for something that needs attention in your life. It might be a relationship. It might be your marriage. It might be your health. It might be your faith. Don't settle for less. Believe in what is possible. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. Thank you for tuning in to the Blink of an Eye story. You may continue listening this Saturday to the trauma healing learnings that accompany this story at Trauma Healing Learning Episode 7, Don't Settle for Less. Thank you for listening. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. For 28 years, Baltimore Mediation has served clients worldwide by facilitating negotiation breakthroughs, believing in their capacity for meaningful face-to-face dialogue.